We want better schools. We want them now. Stand in our way, and you'll catch these eight black hands with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky, and Stewart. Join us now for an hour or more of talk on education and culture. All right, welcome to the Eight Black Hands Podcast. This is episode 80, and tonight we are talking about critical race theory. But before we do that, and before we uh, give the bio on the guests, let's check in with Reef. Reef, how you doing, bro? Good, good to see you, man. Eight Black Hands, thanks for the, the doctor's time, too. Um, being here, excited about this this show. And um, yeah, good to see you. Stuart should be here soon. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, my man Cole, our man Cole yeah, is uh, is on vacation, so we'll see him in a couple of weeks. Yeah, shout out to Cole, man, on vacation, uh, en- enjoying himself. That's uh, the like self care uh, joint, right? Like uh, that self care, uh, independent black folks shit. Hell yeah, that's self care. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So, folks, uh, without further ado, uh, if you uh, tell us how you feeling in these comments, one to ten, how y'all feeling? I'm going to check the comments in a second. If anybody's low, we're going to pep y'all up in these comments tonight. All right. So uh, our first guest is uh, Dr. Shannon Waite. She started in 2003 as a New York teaching fellow and became a social studies teacher, lead dean, teacher recruitment manager, and human resources director. She she transitioned to Fordham in the role of, uh, after she served in the role of director of principal pipeline recruitment uh, for the New York Department, New York City Department of Education. Oh, wow. I didn't know you had some pool management going on there. <laughs> I see you, sis. All right. Uh, currently, Dr. Wade is a clinical assistant professor of educational leadership at the Graduate School of Education at Fordham University, a tier one university. And uh, Dr. Wade also graduated from the University of Albany, a tier one university. Let's get it. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing? Thank you so much for having me this evening. I think we know somebody else that went to Albany too. All right, and I. Yeah, you you froze for a minute, so I didn't. I couldn't really hear what you said. I just made the assumption that you asked me how I was doing. (laughs) (laughs) We don't assume around here. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> but let me get to this bio for the second the second guest. The second guest is uh Dr. Marvin Lynn. He earned his PhD in social sciences and education with a concentration in race and ethnic studies in education from the University of California at Los Angeles, a master's of arts in curriculum and teaching with an emphasis on urban education from Teachers College, Columbia University. Wow, I got some things in common with both guests, all right. Uh, and a Bachelor of Science uh, in, in Elementary Education with concentrations in music and language arts from DePaul University in Chicago. Dr. Lynn is currently the Dean of the College of Education at Portland State University. He is internationally recognized expert on race and education and the lead editor for the Handbook of Critical Race Theory and Education, published in the United States and in the UK. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. All right. So, uh, uh, Breezy, what's happening, man? How you doing? We checked in before you got here a little, uh, you know. Oh, you about, you about to do the racial thing <laughs> on me, bro. You about to do the race thing on me, bro. Like, long time, for real. That's what, that's what we're doing now. 
I feel like I don't have enough credentials for this show. Um, but I appreciate uh, I appreciate catching up with y'all Sunday. Happy to be alive. Happy to to be uh, still living in a, in a household that is blessed with food and abundance. And my kids are upstairs and they're okay. And it almost feels bad. It makes you feel guilty to say that we're basically okay as the entire world is. Um, uh, facing the last days, it looks like. I'm, I'm man. I'm waiting for the locusts to come any minute now. It's, it's, it's we got fires and wars and rumors of wars. We got somebody in the White House that makes me remember the Omen, the movie, the Omen from years ago. I'm like, I'm tripping, man. I don't know if y'all ever read the last book of the the Bible, but yes, if, if you haven't, it might be a time to go back and kind of brush up on it a little bit, get the cliff notes uh, or just watch it on TV. You could do whichever. You can just watch it on TV. So happy to see y'all, though. Good yeah. to see you, bro. Happy to see you, too, bro. All right. So so without without further ado, we're going to jump right in. All right. So the first question we got tonight. Well, matter of fact, before we even jump in, let me let me clarify something. So this guy just said he's like, oh, well, I feel under credentialized or whatever that he said or whatever. But I just want you to know that he's probably the most well-read person that's on this on our podcast. Not true. Um, he talks frequently about Derek Bell faces at the bottom of the well uh, between him and Reef. I know they outread me because I'm dissertating. So, uh, hey, we can't read tonight. that. We can't wait to read that too. <laughs> <laughs> right, but you got the right what guest tonight to help me out, Ray, because you know I have a question constantly about education and critical race theory that never gets answered. So this might be my show tonight. This, this, you, you got experts who might be able to help me understand. Something that I'm never able to understand. So let's do Absolutely. it. And that was that was the point. All right. So so what what is critical race theory and why is it important to minoritized people? So we'll start with uh we'll 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 start with Dr. Lynn. Doc, Dr. Lynn, let's talk about it. What what is critical race theory when you think about it? So critical race theory is a movement. It's uh it's an activist movement um, that is focused on ending racism, um, but it is also uh, an academic movement of scholars within the law um, who are really interested in challenging how we see and understand race and racism uh, in our society. There was a, um, a real big focus on racial power uh, that white people primarily hold in terms of how that gets constructed, but also how it gets represented um, in the law and in society. And so we are taught in America that we live in a meritocratic society that if you work hard, that you will succeed regardless of race, right? And so critical race theory um, sort of calls attention to the contradiction that lies within that belief um, because of what we see happening uh, with, with Black folks and other um, uh, folks of color and, and Indigenous folks in our society. Critical race theory really documents the history of white supremacy uh, in the United States of America and around the globe. Um, and then it talks about how right, white supremacy really impacts and shapes the lives and the experiences of, I should say, BIPOC folks. Um, and so it draws particular attention to the experiences that, that BIPOC folks have uh, as they are sort of 
um, experiencing racism and white supremacy in, in, a, in a multitude of ways. So we, we look at the workplace, we look at schools, we look at, um, you know, what happens out in the streets, you know, the whole Karen phenomenon that people are talking about today, right, in terms of being confronted, for example, as you are going into your, your apartment building where you own a condo. <laughs> um, and, and so all of that is sort of fair game and is talked about um, among critical race theories as yet one other example of the ways in which um, black folks and, and other people of color and indigenous folks are oppressed because of their race. It also looks very specifically at the law and the way the law um, has white supremacy really embedded within it, right? And so I've used the example in the past of uh, Plessy versus Ferguson um, law in, in the US that, that essentially made it legal to segregate blacks from whites. This was not too long after slavery, but, uh, but it was a way to appease the white South, right? To ensure that there wouldn't be more uproar. And so there are a lot of compromises that got made after slavery and that was one of them. Um, so what you have in, in, enshrined into law is the practice of racial segregation that undermined the freedom of black people. And so there's many, many, many other examples of that that I could point to and that critical race theorists point to. Um, critical race theories of education, and you talked about this earlier, we're looking at, uh, we're using that same lens to try to understand uh, what's happening uh, in schools. Right, thank right. you for that. So, um, Dr. Waite, what's, what's your understanding of, of, of critical race theory, sis, and, and how does it relate to your work? So it's everything that uh, Dr. Lynn said, and specifically in schools, it relates to my work because regardless of whatever I teach, um, I am using critical race theory as my, both the lens and the analytic tool, right? So critical race theory in and of itself as a theory is a, a theoretical rationale, a, methodolog a methodological lens and an analytical tool. And so how I apply that to my work um, is by relating it to developing critical consciousness. Um, and so for me, what that looks like is really attacking the epistemology of education in and of itself. Education in this country is inherently racist. And um, if we just look at history, which is ahistorical and revisionist and Eurocentric, um, we can get a more holistic, accurate view of history and then really begin to peel back the layers to adequately address the issues, the inequalities that exist in education today. Yeah, thank you. Um, Reef, talk about man, how, how it impacts your work. Listen, I you know I, when we talk about like CRT, I wish more people that that uh, that claim they use the other CRT, culturally responsive teaching, actually was familiar and was, uh, had deeply uh, internalized uh, the you know critical race theory. You know, too often people want to skip over that and then just say, oh well, I'm a culturally responsive teacher, and have not really analyzed you know uh, you know this the critical race theory and what that means and how you know whatever they're doing they they may be grounding their work in uh, you know uh, in that and so I think that's problematic. I love how you know what was said around uh, the meritocracy. Like we have to you know a lot of our kids are lied to. 
And then, you know, people wonder like why, and they see it while they're still in school. Right. And so that when they become disinvested, there's a, there's a reason. Right. And, um, you know, that, yeah. So I, I would say that's, that's a big piece. And it, I think it's a, it's a blueprint to kind of free your mind, you know, free your mind. And you can do that by going through the, you know, the, the mental exercise of really, you know, understanding and applying the, you know, critical race theory to your teaching, your instruction, your building of school, your creating of policies, all of that. This is the lens that, you know, you should be using, you know, um, and it, it's not a hard decision to do, but, a lot of folks, uh, you know, ignore it wholly. Can I jump in and, and add to something he said? Please, you're the guest. Do no, your I, thing. <laughs> so, so what? Um, one of the things that um, I'm very intentional about as I work with um, masters and doctoral students is making sure that they're very clear that it doesn't matter what 101 education, 101 fundamentals of management, school finance, you know, being a principal 101, none of that matters if you don't start within, right? And so I teach my students that you lead who you are. <clears throat> and at your core, if you are racist because you have inherited the racist ideologies that are taught in our public schools and anywhere in the US and any of its colonies, if you are educated with the ahistorical education from any Pearson McGraw Hill textbook. Um, I think those are the only two publishers people are using nowadays. Um, if that's your whole lens, then you are woefully misinformed. And it it's a challenge, but I think that you hit the nail on the head because far too often at schools of education generally, um, and this is a, a critique, probably not popular for someone who's looking for a full time job. Um, but um, I'm unapologetic in saying that I think that schools of education, whether you're training teachers or you're training leaders, miss the mark because the epistemology of the academy in and of itself is inherently racist. Mm. Right. Like educators, black academics, we work within these racist constructs and critical race theory gives us the ability. It gives us the tool to do what we can to brick by brick. Like Audre Lorde said, the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house, right? So what I teach my students is you got to figure out what your role is and you got to figure out which part of the house you're going to start working on. If someone's working on the roof, the other person needs to start working on the foundation. And if we all can work together to move this thing along, prayerfully one day in our lifetimes, we will see it crumble. But it got to start with the ideology. Like you can't call in, you know, whomever to come give an inspirational talk and now they're going to fix it. If at the at the core, folks are not challenging themselves and understanding their implicit bias and their racism, their internalized racism, it doesn't matter what grandiose, it don't matter how many guest speakers you call, how many panels you put on, what, who you do PD with, who you gave the contract to. If you are not challenging, if you're not having uncomfortable conversations about race and class and the other isms, then you're doing it for not. And it's performative. Mm. So That's critical race. Breezy, theory. Hey, Breezy. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, real quick. Breezy, jump in Go here, ahead. man. Because I, I know you got some smoke for, uh, for these uh, critical race theorists <laughs> that don't really follow the lines that they need to follow in terms of... Uh, <laughs> 
we'll, we'll go ahead with the doc. The doc was about to say something here. Um, all right. All right. Well, I just to, to, to that point that I think um, was being made earlier, that as critical race theorists, we see um, racism and white supremacy as being endemic to American society, which means that, you know, as our society was birthed, racism was part of the core foundation, right, of that society. And when you talk about uh, being built on uh, the enslavement of an entire people for hundreds of years and the annihilation of native peoples, the conquest of, of Latinx folks. So, so you have uh, racism and, and the operation of racism and white supremacy at the very core, at the fundamental core of the society. And we see uh, that, you know, Trump talked about uh, critical race theory as being un-American because he, it denigrates America and attacks America. And what what we what we believe is that we're not t- attacking or denigrating America. We are, in fact, critiquing America. Right. Uh, and that we are radically assessing uh, America, as Derek Bell says. I'll just read a quote real quick from Derek Bell where he says, as I see it, critical race theory recognizes the revolutionize, that revolutionizing a culture begins with the radical assessment of it. Radical assessment can encompass illustrations, anecdotes, allegories, and imagination. So he's talking about the various methods that critical race theories, theorists use to critique and we hope revolutionize America to transform America into something better. Now, we don't believe necessarily that uh, we, we can end racism and white supremacy, given that it is in the very core, in the bowels of the system, so to speak, right? And so the system will have to be remade uh, in order for us to end racism. Mm. Totally agree. So we got a clip. Breezy, we're going to jump to you right after this clip. Did I hit the... Uh... I think I hit the sound. Oh, man. I don't know if I hit the sound. Let me know if you need tech My support bad. from me, bro. You don't need tech support from, <sighs> from, from Reef at I all. Need you know. I don't need tech support from you. <laughs> no, no. I'm, I'm standing in the wings. Just let me not, know. Not from the Luddite. You don't want put the Luddite. Coach, put me in, Coach. Nope. Put you in. No, I'm not going to put you in. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to get this right. And there we go with that. Bam. And then bam. There we go. And then, yeah. And then we're going to hit play. Boom. Oh, man. Hello and welcome. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Why is racism so indestructible? One of the things I think is that we have mischaracterized it. We have misdiagnosed it, if you will. For years and years, we thought that racism was an aberration. Uh, a defect on the American scene, one that was a holdover from slavery, one that we had the tools to correct through law, and one that there was a desire to correct. Um, and it's taken us a long time to recognize that that was a wrong diagnosis, that uh, racism is an important stabilizing uh, function, serves as a stabilizing function in a society that is built on property. And in a society where a great many whites don't have any property to speak of, certainly don't have as much as those on the top, what this society has given them from the time of slavery to the present is a sense of property in their whiteness, that their skin color enables them to somehow identify uh, and live vicariously the lives of those on the top. 
as also through the soap operas and the tabloids and the and the hopes through the uh, lotteries and to feel superior to blacks who whatever their status are deemed on on the bottom so 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 one of the things that I that I get from this clip and I and I, I really don't understand is is how that doesn't have a million views. <laughs> I, I just I I really don't understand it. Um uh but breezy to you sir. Uh So here's my um Here's my situation with CRT, especially as it relates to education, is the critique that uh, critical race theory makes upon the society and upon the United States is an easy one to understand. And I get it. And at its root, if we actually took it seriously, it would change the way that we approach politics and policy and and the way we do education and everything. But my problem with it is many of the people who come to the discussion with CRT on their um, don't seem to practice it or take its critique seriously of the American public education system. Let me give you an example of what I mean by that. What I mean is we make the critique of the American public education system that it is a system of social control, that it is a system that is meant by the ruling class, used by the ruling class to tr- transmit their values and their version of history and to Americanize people more than it is to create free people. And if you actually believe that and you're black and you have a history in the United States of being black, you might want to liberate yourself from a system that you can honestly make the critique of as being a system of social control by the white ruling class. But when you go to make that argument and you start practicing things like alternative education or getting kids out of the system into other systems, then a group of people who will come to you to attack you will be people with CRT on their on their resume, professors and academics who will say you're trying to privatize schools on a neoliberal um, juggernaut. And many of them will be white people talking to a black person saying this. You are a sellout. You are trying to destroy the cornerstone of education or the cornerstone of democracy without looking at what that means. Who's democracy? Mm. Cornerstone of who's democracy? Who told you that? Thomas Jefferson? Is that, is that who told you that public education is the cornerstone of American democracy? Really? And you believed it? How can you believe that, that I'm trying to destroy something? That, that would be like telling me I'm trying to destroy the prison system by trying to get black people out of it. Right. Mm. Right. But but or I'm trying to uh, I'm attacking prison guards and police officers, good, hardworking police officers by even attacking their system. So these people who have CRT who believe on one hand with Jefferson that public education is the great equalizer, it's the cornerstone of our democracy, at the same time are saying they agree with Derek Bell, who told you that racism is endemic and permanent, embedded in the system, and stop these integrationist fantasies that you have as your key to salvation because that is cultural, that is literal cultural suicide every time you drink that down. So this is my problem. My problem is I agree with Derek Bell. I don't agree with the people, the Latter-day Saints of Derek Bell in education who come to tell me that integration is our, our most solid way of winning. Right. That there's that they have a critique for everybody who's trying to get us out of the system, but no critique for the 80 percent of white female teachers in the classroom or mm. foreclosing on the black mind every day. 
Right. No critique of the unions that they that they put their social power to together, bundle their money and control the political table of education. The white imperial mother through her organization, working with the, the white paternal father who's in the police officers and whatnot. Our CRT people have no in education, have no critique of that. They just have critique of people who are coming to disrupt and interrupt the system. And let me just finish by saying, I think it's really weird that I will be on Twitter or somewhere having an exchange with a white person in academia who's got CRT on their resume, who's calling me a sellout because I'm trying to get black children out of the system. And they are not even smart enough to use CRT to critique that engagement that that person and me are having at that moment, right? Thomas Jefferson's descendant and my black ass fighting on Twitter and they can't even use CRT to say, well, maybe I shouldn't say that. Anyways, I'm sorry. That's my preaching for, ten- for tonight, folks. Yeah, no worries. Hey, so, yeah, so, hey, hey, no worries, bro. Energy is always welcome. So here, here's what I want to say real quick, right? So before we started this, this broadcast, I tried to, because, you know, they say when you have a seat at the table, then, you know, you allow other people to come in and you invite them to the table. So I tried to give my seat away tonight to another, another uh, critical, uh, 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 critical race theorist expert, sort of, right? Um, someone that's like uh, heavily in the work, one, another one of my sorority sisters. Um, she didn't want to take the seat. But I still offered it to her because I feel like it's really important for this conversation for us that have seats at the table to allow black women their space in order to be able to get the things off that they need to get off, whatever, because we protect black women on this podcast. Just wanted to put that out there. All right. So, um, Dr. Wait, jump in because I saw you nodding your head to what Chris was saying. Talk to me. Um. So it's going to sound like I'm not answering or responding to his points, but I really am. And reel me back in because I can talk. I'm a professor. So I would say this. I would say that I hear you. And very similarly to um, when I when I teach and when I facilitate, I tell people um, I was born in 1978 and there was a commercial and it was for uh, something called Hair Club for Men. Mm. And at the end of it, right, <laughs> the guy would say, I'm not just the president, I'm a client, right? <laughs> and so how that relates to this is, I might have been the people that you were talking about um, maybe mm, within the last three to five-ish years. Right. I might have been one of those people who told you that um, any um, time that we try to um, pull monies and pull funding out of public schools, it detracts and it deteriorates the quality of education for all students. Right. So I'm going to start there. I'm going to say that one of the things that I appreciate the most um, that I've gotten through mentorship from a lot of black academics and black scholars is um, a lot of guidance and I've gotten a lot of grace. And so I would start by offering that I think that it's important for us to give people the grace that we expect to receive. And so with regard to the black academics that you hear um, who say that they believe in uh, CRT and would critique alternative education, 
I would say that perhaps they don't have the benefit or have not yet had the benefit of understanding um, or really unpacking just how a historical U.S. history is and just how racist this, this education system is. Because I'm going to tell you, before I um, started teaching in the doctoral um, program, which was two years ago, I, I, I would have I said the same thing. You know, I used to make statements in my master's classes like, mm, you know, charter and public. Mm, you know, I, I, I feel like uh, McDonald's and Burger King, right? Like Burger King and McDonald's make each other better. Right. Like I used to make those types of statements and saying how I really was down for public education because I was educated, although in the suburbs, I was educated in public schools. And, you know, I really do value public school education. And here's the reality. I just said it. I was educated in the public schools in the suburbs, which is completely different from urban education and having mm -hmm. been a teacher, having been a dean, having worked in um, the largest bureaucratic education system in the nation, and now being a, a school board member, I sit on the panel for educational policy, which is the equivalent of the school board for New York City, um, seeing how the sausage really gets made, right? Like I definitely have a different appreciation for what families who are desperately interested in giving their kids the best education possible, I have a different level of appreciation for what it is they're willing to do when they feel like their choices are between poor and piss or poor, piss poor, right? Mm -hmm. And so I would say that I would ask that you would give my colleagues and I grace, right? Because just like we put our pant legs on one, um, one leg, we put our pants on one leg at a time like everybody else, right? And I would say this, I would say that for um, folks who truly unpack and they, they understand that you cannot take CRT without really getting, like for me, I'm just going to say for me, and I defer to Dr. Lynn, who's the expert here. Again, I'm a scholar of, of CRT, which means I study it. And I will say that for me, CRT and cr developing critical consciousness go hand in hand. Right. Because when I'm working with my students and I'm teaching them, we start by looking at the receipts that history tells us education is inherently racist. We start with the preamble. We hold these truths to be self-evident, yada, yada, yada. Then I ask them, who's the we? Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. And then after we get some some somebody finally gets hit with the million dollar, uh, the, the proverbial handkerchief. Right. My reference to the black Baptist church that I attend. Right. Mm. Um, somebody gets it that it's white, wealthy, land owning men. And then my next statement, which, you know, many of my students clutch their proverbial pearls. That means that at the founding of the country, all white men weren't created equal. Mm -hmm. Let's chew on that for a little bit. All white yeah. men weren't the right type of white to be included in that preamble. Then when we flip and we look at the three-fifths compromise and we recognize that black men were three-fifths of one white man, that's when we can really get down to it and really address the ideology. So I guess um, my answer to your, your, your question is, I think it goes back to the ideology and it really goes, goes to addressing our own implicit bias and racism. And like, I feel like most of the black scholars um, who do CRT work are definitely, um, I would, you know, I did, 
I respect, and that's another thing about me. I can eat the meat and throw away the bones, right? Ray and I had a whole conversation before we started about some critiques that you made last um, um, session that I watched in preparation for this that I didn't necessarily appreciate because I knew you was talking about some of my peoples and I felt like you was coming <laughs> for my female counterpart more than you went for the male counterpart. And I wanted you to keep that same Ooh. energy with him. But I it wonder was which like one that us. was. Ooh. We not naming names. Oh, but we this can is show the names. We're not naming names. We're not naming names. We're not naming names. We can talk about I want to do more than I want to do more than survive. I want to. Okay, we're not doing that. Yeah, Doctor Lynn. Yeah. Hey, Doctor Lynn, jumping here and then we coming to you. Okay. Two points. So, you know, you, you don't want to characterize you. an entire field based on maybe conversations or, or with a couple of people. Um, critical race, the, the field of critical race theory and education is very, very broad. Um, I have a book um, that I've co-authored or co-edited with uh, Dr. Adrian Dixon at Another the University board. of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. That <laughs> Yes. And what we do is we try to really help people understand uh, how complex the field of critical race theory and education is. So I do work around classroom teaching, pedagogy and praxis, and there's a whole field of studies of people who are really looking at liberatory pedagogy and praxis, like the kind of uh, teaching that you all are doing, and we document that and talk about that. Uh, there's a whole field uh, within education that focuses on higher education, looking at affirmative action policy and law and uh, how that impacts what happens to folks in high, the higher education classroom, looking at issues of tenure and promotion for Black and, and Latinx and Indigenous faculty. We're also looking at education policy writ large. And so to that point, there, there is a strain of critical race theory in education that is very critical of the charter school movement, not because of schools like the ones you're describing, but because by and large, um, the, the ch charter schools have not had a demonstrably uh, positive impact on black children, right? And, the, and they do in some cases, depending on, and they're different everywhere, um, they, they, they do and they can siphon resources away from public education. And many of our students, particularly our poorest students, uh, public education is all they have. Um, now, I, I do think that a lot of folks, and I'm one of them, but I, I think a lot of people who study race uh, are have a different way of looking at what we would call culturally specific or cultural, culturally centered charter schools, right? Because the results coming out of those schools is are very different than what you see in your general sort of charter schools. Um, uh, and so if they're culturally specific, they're aligned to the African-American culture and experience. They're about uplifting black uh, male and female students and they work and they're very successful. And so I do think that critical race theory is a very supportive of that specific type of charter school. But yes, critical of the charter school movement because it it, it sort of sold us a bill of goods. Um, it, it did not do what it claimed it was going to do in terms of revolutionizing education and transforming um, on, on a large scale the experiences of, of black and brown students in schools. Again, uh, but that's I say that while recognizing that 
are culturally specific schools that are that are designed to to work with black and brown children are very different. And I and I think we see those as such and we recognize and respect uh, the work that comes out of those schools. Shabazz in Chicago, for example. Oh my God, America. there's a lot in there, bro. There's a lot in there. There's right, so, a lot so, in there. So, 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 so. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. I, right, I so, see so real you, quick, Real quick. Because <laughs> there's definitely a lot to unpack yes, there. there is. But what I will say is this. You are not going to tell me that schools that have failed black people for generations are going to get a pass while you're going to have like this demonstrative emphasis on schools that have only been here for 20 years. That's crazy. We need to have that same kind of energy for these schools that have failed our people for generations. The whole whole field of critical race theory and education is about critiquing public education, right? If you read my work, you hear black teachers talking about the racism and the classism that they experience as teachers and that their students experience uh, in 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 public schools. So the vast majority of our work is about critiquing public education. Um, but there is there is some work that that looks at, uh, you know, charter schools and, and charter schools policy. And they're, and they're primarily concerned with, again, you know, are they improving things for black and brown kids? And by and large, the answer is no. And again, there's the that, OK, so, now, so now let's just stop because we're are. saying some things right now that should just be challenged. Number one, what the research does yeah. tell you is that there is a advantage for urban black kids to go to charter schools. And that comes out of the Mathematica mm-hmm. studies, that comes out of the, the Stanford studies, that comes out of the, the, the uh, Credo studies, all of those. If you put them together and put them all in a blender, what you will come up with, there is a, a advantage for black children to go to charter schools. But as somebody who is agnostic about a kind of school, I'm just I'm just an educationist. I just believe education works, whatever. I, I do pay attention to this class problem that we have in discussions like this. The class problem is that black parents are choosing something every day. They're making choices. Nobody is forcing anybody's hand. Nobody is making you do anything. And then there are middle class people coming to critique the choice that they have made, whether it's the right choice, the wrong choice, a good choice, a bad choice, whether they chose a good charter, a bad charter, a good voucher school, a good private school, a good district school or whatnot. They are still making moves that have to be studied and paid attention to. Right. Like you, you do have to ask questions of if these are so bad, why did you choose it? Why, if those other schools are, are worth saving, why did you leave them? Right. There, there, there's some questions that have to be asked through a class lens. Also, I think when we get into CRT, that is not happening right now. But 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 this is my problem. My problem is I can give you a list of academics Wait, and scholars. You move on, right, right. Before right. you move on, though, can yeah. you can you say can you say more about what the class problem is that you see? I think that theoretically there are people in academia who are talking about things in the abstract that are different than the way they that the, the economy of students happens on the ground. Right. So we say things like charter schools are siphoning money. No, 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 no. See, charter schools that 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 is a slogan that comes out of white labor unions and progressives, white progressives siphoning money from that was actually developed by communications experts who focus tested that exact language. That's where that came from. Siphoning money from the public system. Charter schools, by law, are public schools by the state law. And you can't make any critique of a charter school that you can't make of magnet schools. But you have to wonder why we don't have so many academes and CRT people 
with such a big body of work around magnet schools that they have around charters, the school that just started not that long ago. And the reason for that is unions. If we're going to be real is white progressivism, unions, and the alignment between black intellectual academics and white progressives. That's where that comes from. It doesn't come from the ground. It doesn't come from the, the tough decisions that parents are having to make in the school selection economy that they have, right? So, so, so that, 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 that's, that's where the, the body of work, the anti-charter school body of work amongst black academics is robust. As a matter of fact, if I were to put all of the work that I have seen of black academics, you said don't dis, don't make it about an entire field. But I'm going to tell you just an objective observation that I've made as somebody who reads dissertations at, for a hobby and pay attention to my black intellectuals looking for re reason and logic to come from them. If you were to look at their body of work and put it into a blender, you will have a lot of anti-reform anti-TFA, uh, anti-charter school, anti-charter school movement, anti-everything that has to do with getting kids out of the mainline system. What you will see a dearth of is the same level of energy and analysis of the teachers unions nationally who have a $500 billion um, um, economy to fight policy battles nationally. How could you leave out such a major player the group that represents the white female employees of the American public education system that has every root in racism you can possibly imagine going back to the 1903 when the unions were actually set upon saving white teachers from having to teach in black schools. Right. That's their history. But you don't get that out of out of if you were to look at a thousand hours uh, of of the education dialogue coming out of CRT academic, academics from white progressives and their black aligned progressives, uh, um, you won't get that from them. There is a whole body of research on black. Hey, so, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to jump to Reef and then we'll go to Dr. We're, so we'll go, we'll, we'll go to Reef and then we'll go to Dr. Lynn. Dr. Lynn, I know, I know you got that energy for the, for yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, and I, I hear you, Dr. Lynn, there may be a whole body of research of, of, uh, you know, middle-class academics talking about or critiquing, but this is what I see on the ground as a former principal and a former teacher. Um, and I spent 16 years in, in the turnaround schools, uh, the last 11 at a charter, right? Like what I saw and when people were accosting me for, you know, doing the work that I was doing in my own neighborhood with a turnaround school that, that ended up being a charter was uh, a whole lot of critique. And, and my simple, I always had just a simple question. Where do you send your kids to school? Mm. Where do you send your kids to school? Like, I, I, you know, like, frankly, like people, people will theorize you to death about this is bad and that. And, that. you know, they also told people don't leave, you know, Maryland plantations because up north was cold. Right. Like, you know, they would say that, too. And so my, my point is what you know, what do you tell that grant? Like, because for me, some people are like just out there. They just want to think about stuff and they like to live in a cave. Uh, intellectual cave and they just sit there like I was brought up like your work ain't in the cave your work is with the people like yeah you can be on the mountaintop and just uh, theorize and well this would be the best situation and just like okay so if you, if you got this critique for this group of schools 
But you you almost say nothing, at least publicly. And maybe they write stuff and put it in their desk. But when I hear them speaking, when they're talking trash to me on Twitter and, and other places, when they when they're, <laughs> when they're going to these in, in, behind these podiums, they're, they're talking a different language and they don't put their children in those worst schools. The schools that I'm I'm in and working to turn around, mm-hmm. you don't see those academics there. You don't see them there. They will never put their kids there, neither, neither with a political class who who, you know, want to qu- uh, quote a sentence or two from them. You know, and what Nellie Fuller says, if you don't understand racism and white supremacy, what it is and how it works, everything else you think you understand will only confuse you. And these people are confused about, like, what really happens in these schools. They, they're they're absolutely confused and they want to come up with theory. And I, I quoted this last week. Fred Hampton said, you know what? Theory is nice, but without practice, it ain't shit. And a whole lot of folks out there, they just That's talking bad. shit, acting like they're the experts in places they've never actually been in. Mm-mm. And they if they teach. were in it, if they were in it, they got out of there quick. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Lynn, go, because I, I, I got some stuff. A whole word. Say. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, Dr. So, Lynn, I, yeah. I know you wanted to, uh, you had a rebuttal for, uh, for Chris's comments. Go ahead. Take it away. There is a strong tradition of research. You know, have you read Kofi Lamote's work or Mwalimu Shuja that these gentlemen have written about black, what were called at the time black independence schools for decades. Right. And this idea that you're talking about that, that we need a different system, that black children need to be in a in, not in a public education system, but a different system where they can be nurtured, they can be developed and so on. And so that idea has been around for a long time and it's been very much embraced by black scholars. Kofi Lamote and Walimu Shuja are very well respected scholars and beloved scholars in our field. Uh, and so there hasn't been- Dr. Lynn, I just creation. want to say like the people you name, that's that's not who's who's out there talking the most trash. And it'd be very different if they said, hey, we need a third way. I just want you to include that in it. It'd be very different if they said like, hey, we need more black schools. We need more black led schools. I've been told directly. Well, yeah, but you should do that within the system. And and mind you, I've done it within the system. But for somebody to come out there whose kid is in the suburb or in some magnet school that's more private than the private schools for it to come and tell me, Sharif, I love your ideas, but you should only do this in in the system. I'm just like, you should be you put your kids in the system. And and you know what? This is I'll, I'll say this is you yeah. are absolutely right. You are absolutely right that that trend of that that group of people exist. I, I just got to say this: you you are right that they are there and that they exist. They are losing the fight against the academic integrationists, right? Mm-hmm. So somewhere along the line, the the black nationalist ideas. There has been a long intellectual dualism between those folks who who did the Garvey thing and and who did the integrationist thing, the Malcolm thing and the Martin thing, that fake Western dualism, but. In academia, there is a group that has actually taken precedence and actually is very critical of the black nationalists, Afrocentric, build your own, do your own, independent black schools. I mean, Bob Moses actually said, why do why can't we build counter institutions? Stokely Carmichael said, why can't we build counter institutions? But you bring that up today in the mainstream academic educational debate and you will lose it to the integrationists 
to the integration driven. You can't get black academics to denounce uh, Diane Ravitch right now, who is the godmother of all educational politics and commentary right now and all academics. Black folks are running to her to try and get her to write the forward to their books as they're putting out these books that white people read and white teachers read that black folks don't need. Right. So I agree with you that I can name some of those same scholars that you are talking about. What I am saying is that they are losing the fight and the debate, even within academia, to the integrationists. Right. Well, that, that's my point. That, that's my view. Can I say one thing. First of all, all right, we go to Dr. Uh, Wade and then Dr. Lynn, we're coming right back to you. We go, all right. Dr. Wade and then we we'll go back to Dr. Lynn. So, uh, you know, I know deference. I'm going to let Dr. Lynn go and then come back to me. Yeah. Critical race okay. theorists are not. Thank you. Critical race theorists are not integrationists. Right. Mm-hmm. We, we believe in, in race consciousness. Yes. Uh, and Derek Bell, if you if you read uh, what is yes, it? The, um, the sacrifice of school, black school children is a he talks about what happens to black children in an integrated schooling context. And I use, I draw on that work myself to talk about what happened to black teachers historically, right? When uh, when Brown versus Board of Education happened. So one of the core foundational elements of CRT is the critique of integrationism. It is not a promotion of integrationism. Any, the, the critiques that you hear around um, um, charter schooling Look at what happened in Louisiana, in New Orleans. I mean, it, it, there are people that are actively on the ground studying how basically the public education system was completely decimated there and it was all chartered. Right. And our children are not performing well in that context. Our black teachers in New Orleans are gone. Adrian Dixon <laughs> writes about this. That's just true, though. That's not true. So, so, so wait, wait, I'm going to. So, so Doc, I don't mean to, I don't mean to cut you off, but what I want to say is this: the public education in New Orleans, me being from St. Tammany Parish, I can attest to you that it was trash way before charter schools. I mean, but the the narrative is that it wasn't that it was. You know, it's it's a lot of times we I hear this make a and I listen. I'm not an expert on what happened in New Orleans, but what I what I will I say, is, you know, what I, what I what I will say is there's not a place in this country that you can point me to a district that does well by black kids in mass. Right. And so to 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 talk about New Orleans without and saying like, oh, yeah, after Hurricane Katrina, kids stopped learning. I'm just like, well, where where's what's the baseline? <laughs> what were they learning beforehand? Right. And no, I'm, but this yeah. is this is part of the problem though, is like the class thing that I said, you know, we're not gonna I'm I'm not gonna I'm going to be polite. Well, two of y'all discussion. from New Orleans. So oh, I, listen, I went to New Orleans public schools, <laughs> right? I went to New Orleans yeah. public schools, right? So I was there before the storm. And anybody who is anybody should be able to tell you that the day before Katrina, the FBI set up an office in the actual district to save themselves at the district headquarters to save themselves mileage from having to go back and forth to the to the district. It was the most con- corrupt district in the entire United States. Right. It had been failing in a way that was like cataclysmic in the United States that nobody had ever seen. And very few people were talking about it, except for the occasional news story that would embarrass the entire city to point out the level of corruption, the number of people being arrested, the amount of grift that was taking place and a number of kids that were not getting an education where were just being put on the fast track to prison and to jails. That is not to say that today that the charter schools that came after it have been miraculous either. 
They have way too many F-rated schools and D-rated schools still as of today. And the shameful part about it is those are a leg up from what was there before. The three-tiered system, the system that the white people went to, the bougie black people with connections went to, the parochial system that the bougie black people went to that gave us all of our black mayors and black city council members <laughs> and black everybody Newman. else and whatnot. Tell them about Newman. Newman. And then our, our magnet schools that were test in. You had to test in. And then the schools I went to, the schools for everybody else. I won't tell you what they called us that yeah. went to those schools that were for everybody else. So when I see people, when I see people with PhDs, when I see people with PhDs move to New Orleans from Portland, Oregon and other parts of the country and start writing books and start writing uh, dissertations and papers and organizing with the white teachers that want to get it to the way that it was back before. And when I see them working with the AFT and the NEA to spin a narrative about how bad New Orleans is now, when I hear things like the black teachers are gone, when New Orleans has more black teachers in its system than most cities, I dare anybody in the comments right now to check how many black teachers they got in their city and, and how many are in the New Orleans system right now. Right. And I also want some of my bougie people to admit that when the black teachers came back, the majority of the ones that got into the new system actually were hired from the old system. But a third of them couldn't pass a basic skills test. And that was part of the problem that existed. From we're not going to talk about that. We're not gonna do that. No, that, we're not. We're not going to do that. But we, we that, have to do that. Inherently racist. Inherently racist. Right. But we have to do that because we have academics in the country who have descended upon New Orleans with the political agenda. Some of them come there to be black for the first time in their lives. Some of them come with their biraciality from places like Oregon, come to New Orleans and start writing papers and shit that like actually don't have any of the flavor to locals. And then they talk to every village idiot that they can find in the city to try and organize them to get behind their thing. Now, this is just me trying to talk as straight with y'all as I possibly can. So, so to Lamar. Sound, hey, yeah. so Shannon, so, <laughs> Shannon, yeah. Hi, I'm still here. Um, so <laughs> here's what I'm 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 gonna move on and put the period on that conversation because I think that um Number one, I do. I know for a fact that there can be a third way. Right. That's that's number one. And number two, you know, I think that the critique is on both sides. I think that I've heard you make some valid points. And I think that the same thing can be said because your focus seems to be on the white, um, the the influx of white um influence on labor unions and also on the black academics who you feel like are being fed by white folks. But your charter schools are owned by white folks, too. So I think you can't critique one without the other. And I think that there's fair. Hold on, Ray. Hold on, Ray. I think that there's fair critique on both sides. Right. And so I think that when talking about critical race theory, you have you cannot. Things have to be applied. Right. If I can go to my uh, medicine cabinet right now and I can get a Band-Aid. Right. If my kid scrapes her knee and it's bleeding, I can put the Band-Aid on there. She can come back to me and say, Mommy, it's still bleeding. I didn't apply enough pressure. Um, I put something on there that was too small. Essentially, I didn't apply it the right way. What I'm suggesting is there is a number of ways to apply things. But what Dr. Lynn has highlighted is what critical race theory is 
You may disagree with some of those, with some of the critical race theorists. You may disagree with the body of scholarship, but I can say that, you know, I haven't, I haven't sat through nearly as many committees as Dr. Lin, but I would, there would never be a, a dissertation that came through a, a, a dissertation, an EDD program. I don't know about PhD program, but I can tell you at Fordham, there would never be a PhD dissertation that would come up with a focus on labor unions and how its influence has been on um, the preservation of white teachers and whiteness because the focus of an EDD program at Fordham is to see what what our students are going to add to the body, body of scholarship about educational leadership. So I think that perhaps maybe there's a case made about that, but for by and large, I'm not surprised that you're not seeing that particular body of scholarship. However, Ray is dissertating, and it seems like you. So he says that was five, five years. years. So he five years. He's been dissertating right? for a long like time. You, but it seems like you and Sharif are very um, are very uh, well read. So why don't y'all? jump in the game and write these dissertations to add to the body of scholarship and expand so, expand the, the literature. I'm getting my PhD so I from am the writing people. From my people. <laughs> I am. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so real quick to, to, to answer that. Uh, uh, Don't defend your five years, John. Frame. No. All right, this guy right here. Yo. <laughs> you, when, you, when you get into a program, then you'll know exactly how long it takes. Plus, I'm a whole superintendent, bro, and that is a full time job, and like yeah. that comes before anything. Constitution else. said you three fifths of a superintendent. Oh, that's true. This I is know, true. Right? That's true. <laughs> this is true. So, so CRT is my framework, mm. um, and so I'll never, I, I'll never want to be a critical race theorist. I would want to be a critical race scholar because I feel like it's too much heat that comes from black folks like y'all that uh, on, on on these theorists, and plus. Uh, I'm I'm heavily into practice. I like being in the practice side of things more than I do the theory side of things. So that's where I'm going with that. But anyway, um, can I just say Dr. this, Lynn, back to you, quick, real quick? Yeah, can yeah. I just say this to Maya Woods? Um, public schools are owned. They are owned by the public. Public schools are the public's schools, and I can say that. that I think that. Part of the problem in public education right now is that people have forgotten that public schools are the public schools. The tax dollars, the tax levy dollars that finance public schools are come from our paychecks. So the public, it is a public collective investment and they are the public schools. They may not be run like that all the time because I feel like people in power forget that they're the public schools, but they are the public's schools. Yeah. Hey, and my dissertation is the public's dissertation. So, <laughs> well, I mean, so in some ways, I'll just be, I'll be, I'll be real clear. That's like saying that the police are like the public's police, or the prisons are the public's prisons, or the like the Don't courts, the courts. No, 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 no. Because I'm going to do that because we publicly fund the courts, we publicly <laughs> we fund the police, we publicly we fund the fire departments and the IRS, and in every single, this is what CRT will do for me. 
in every single one of these situations, racism is endemic in the system. So to say that we somehow collectively own the courts or the police or the IRS or even the housing authorities and HUD and all of these other organizations that are paid and funded does not protect us from the fact that they are racist organizations that we cannot think that we collectively own them with the white racists that run them. Right. So, so the school, the school, like when we handed over our kids, to white school boards, there is an entire history that that actually black academics have written about that. Right. Those were we funded those too. those. But we handed our kids over to white school boards after desegregation. And those were our schools. We did fund those. Those were public. And the racist outcomes could not be more clear. Right. Same thing with the courts. Same thing with the police. Same thing with HUD. Same thing with TANF even. Right. These are all public things that we fund that have a negative, deleterious, racist outcome for us. And we own them all. all But my argument, but Chris, my argument would be my argument would be that if we actually applied that if we to raise point about application. Right. Because I have an EDD. I'm not a Ph.D. I'm not a theorist. And I agree um, with uh, Sharif. Theory without practice is trash. And what I would say is I think that the we own these institutions and I want us to start taking back our institutions. All of the stuff that I saw. And maybe this is just because of where I sit watching um, New York City right now, specifically with public schools, specifically in New York City, several things have happened over the last couple of weeks, right? Last couple of months. One of the things that I have been inspired by are the changes that have happened grassroots level on the ground. And those things wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been for the public who rose up and said, this is going to happen. That, And to your point, I get it. I am not mitigating it. I am not suggesting I am not suggesting that there are not real attacks because as we know, racism is endemic. What I am suggesting though, is that if we collectively begin to push back and all figure out how to dismantle, right? And I don't think one approach is better than the other. I feel like if there was one approach, we still wouldn't be in this situation. I feel like we need everybody, Malcolm, Martin, Ida, everybody to Mm -hmm. move this train. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm not mitigating it. It's a lived reality. I live it every day. Right. However, we can't just sit here and do the same thing over and over again. And something I will say um, that uh, it was a conversation between Kamika Royal, Dr. Kamika Royal, doctors, Kamika Royal and Mark Lamont Hill. And one thing that he said that really I had to sort of check. Right. Was do we really want liberation and do we want radical reformation? Or do we just simply want reform? Because if we just want, we cannot keep saying we want radical liberation and the liberation of all black people and we want this major stuff and then keep settling for liberal reform. So I'm not arguing. I want what Mark wants. I'm I'm agreeing with Mark. I actually want my kids to be able to have access to the same private schools that Mark got his kids into. I don't want I don't want black (laughs) intellectuals telling me I I don't want black intellectuals telling me to double down on the system that they all ran from. What I want is I want liberation. You know, I want the same type of liberation he's getting in Philly in the private schools, and I want the funding to do it, and I want the government to actually fund my kids so that they can have the opportunities that his kids get. That's what I want. All right, you know what? Right? I, you know what I Liberation. want? I want. I, I want. I want order. 
is what I want. That's the first thing. You thought you was going to get the that second tonight thing on I this want show. Is I, I, I know, I know. The, the second thing I want is I want for people to not listen to Mark and uh and, and, whoa, whoa, and whoa, whoa, whoa. No, whoa, no, no, whoa, that's not no, 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 no. We're not going to let you get away with that. MLA, no, bro. no, it's not like that. And so the. The third thing, the third thing that I want is I want the focus on Dr. Lynn, who is the expert, and I want Dr. Lynn to close us out with uh, with, with his thoughts on critical critical race theory, and then I'll get to everybody else in the closing thoughts. Well, I want to um, emphasize something. One of uh, one of our participants, Lucy, is saying that you know she has a PhD, and and it's it's both theory and practice. So let's let's not create a false dichotomy between theory and practice, right? Because we know that the two work together, and uh, you don't really have one without the other. That, that we need theory uh, and critical race theory. As, as somebody asked me the other day, and I said critical race theory is a is a theory about the way the world works, right? And so we need to conceptually understand how race functions in our society. And then we can look at examples of that, right? Um, and illustrations of that through the law, through schools, schooling systems, and so on. And then we can develop liberatory practices to counteract that, or we can develop different types of systems as, you were, as you've been talking about to try to counteract the impact of racism, racism and white supremacy on people. And so that practice and theory go hand in hand, but, but you really can't have one without the other. Practice without theory is, is right. weak. Um, yes. and, and, and it doesn't have a strong conceptual or theoretical foundation. And I see it all the time. I'm a teacher too. I taught elementary school uh, and I saw uh, within the, within those contexts, you know, um, um, teaching that was weak and conceptually and theoretically. So that's, that's an important point. But I think, you know, I, I love the quote of the, of Neely Fuller around really understanding white supremacy as a, as a starting point, right. For really being able to, to, to be a free thinker, but also um, as a starting point for being able to do the kind of liberatory work that we know we're going to do together in public schools, in charter schools, in private schools, in all kinds of schools, right? Uh, and I think what what, uh, what has been said, you know, over and over again is that we need all types of institutions and we need all types of people at the table um, so that we can have this conversation about how to move our community forward. And that's what critical race theory ultimately is about. <laughs> That's what's up. Thank you, sir. Dr. Wade. Closing thoughts. Once again, once again, thank you guys for the invitation. Um, yes, I want to echo what Dr. Lynn said. Just as um, you know, one can say theory without practice is trash, practice without theory really is trash too. Um, I've seen it firsthand in schools. I'm sure as a superintendent, um, Future Dr. Akram, you see it on a regular, on a fairly regular basis and you fight it and you weed it out. Um, and I know that um, principal, former principal um, Almecki did the same. And I know that from your work on the school board, Mr. Stewart, um, that probably was a pet peeve of yours, too. So I think that um, I think that what I think that there's not one. I think that I think once again. The grace that you want people to extend to you, we need to be willing to extend to other people. I think that um, there is an opportunity to grow. I think there's always an opportunity to grow. But more importantly, I think that critical race theory offer, offers the um, it offers us the opportunity to really interrogate and examine history through the correct lens. Um, because it offers you the opportunity to critique history, which we know is a historical and has been revised. 
And absent that, um, I think that it will be a challenge to move forward. I think it'll be a challenge for there to be progress collectively in the field of education. Yeah. All right. Um, Reef. Yeah. First of all, I appreciate you both, uh, you know, coming on and, and having this discussion. I, I think it's is worthy of our discussion um, and our conversations. And, and again, not just conversation, but our work, like how do we apply this to our work uh, tomorrow morning? You know, um, particularly in, in service of, of children and communities. Um, I still think that there's a, a whole lot of folks that don't understand or prefer not to look at uh, use a racial lens. Um, and the roots of racism to look at their beloved country, um, just like we see this uh, blind patriotism um, with American imperialism. There's a blind kind of patriotism internally as well, uh, particularly when it comes to our public school institutions, like the same people that I you know, there's so many people that I agree with 90 percent of the time when they're talking about the courts and the, and the police stations and all this that. Uh, that Stuart laid out. Um, but then for some reason, they think that, you know, there's just rainbows uh, entering the, the school system. Uh, when black families have been saying for generations, like we feel marginalized, that black kids get pushed out um, and that black children have uh, terrible experiences. And I don't I don't think you'll go through this 80th episode and you'll never find any of the four of us say that there's no racism in charter schools or that, you know, that's the you know, that those are perfect or anything like that. But what we do push back on are are people who who bring a particular theory, who don't attend the schools, who don't send their kids to particular schools but then criticize everybody who's doing something in a different way. And again, most of my time was in the district. And even in my role now, I am supporting every district uh, person and leader that I can because there are black children in the balance. Uh, but I, I do take exception when, you know, when folks who aren't even in that, they're not even eating that food, eating from that that bowl and, and demanding everybody else eat there while they you look at them and they're in a totally different um, condition. And when we say public schools, we have to recognize that every public school ain't public. They ain't all built equally. Well, my kids go to public school. Uh, FYI, my schools go to public. My kids go to public. You know, my next question is like, yeah, is it magnet public or is it public public? You know, it's public public, and (laughs) I have to tell you whether it was magnet public, what whatever, wherever my kid goes, everybody's kid is going to get it because we all have to care about everybody's kid. If it's not Mm -hmm. good enough for my kid. It's not good enough for anybody's kid. Go to the um, PEP website and and you can watch the tapes and watch me tell these people that multiple times. If it's not good enough for one, it's not good enough for all. Appreciate it. Hmm. Breezy, take us out. Well, I got three, three kids in traditional district schools are assigned to school, <laughs> not some special program, not some special magnet. It is not lovely, but it is what it is. This is what we got, you know, and this is what we're doing. Bottom line for me is this critical race theory has given you the premise for what should be a lot of drive and fuel for good policy and good thinking, political thinking around that policy. But I think too many of the people who actually interpret it are not interpreting it for its original premise, which tells you that racism is endemic. It's not an accident. It's not a flaw of the system. It is actually a part of the thread. It's threaded into the system. So if you are not acting in every policy you do, in every public policy 
meeting you have or private strategy meeting that you have, if you are not actually observing the very first tenet of CRT, which is don't be fooled, it is racist, it is racist, then you are doing it wrong. And the only thing you will hear my critique in all of this is not of critical race theory. It's of the latter day carriers of critical race theory who tell you things like double down on the existing system or who tell you things like this is the system that we own together with the white progressives and the white conservatives and all those whites in red country and whatever, like it's one system. There are 14,000 school, uh, school systems in the United States, and I can guarantee you it's not one system. Public education is not one thing. That is many systems. That is 14,000 color-coded systems with color-coded boundaries of how they are funded, how they are staffed, what they learn, what rules they have in place for, for discipline and everything everything else. Those are many different systems. And we would be a fool to believe that we should double down on one thing and hold our hands, hand cross America and save our schools and all that stuff with a group of people who've got us. So Stockholm syndrome on our, our belief in their, their concept of us, that we actually will say that we should double down on the main system rather than go for alternatives and new, new ways of doing things. It can't all happen at once. We have to be realistic. We're not going to build a new system overnight. But listen, 50 percent of black people aren't even in cities anymore. 50 percent of black people are in suburban schools. And LaRue's book will tell you that that ain't the land of milk or honey either. Right. So we are being sold a bill of goods on integration. We're being sold a bill of goods on on the lack of thinking about pedagogical solutions. We most of the solutions we think about, like things like we just need to mix the kids up and we need to yeah. do integration or whatnot. None of those are pedagogical interventions. Yeah. Right. None of that will get us better teaching. Right. We start criticizing schools for especially Afrocentric schools for being segregated or whatnot because we didn't drink the, the, the white progressive Kool-Aid on these things and whatnot, we have ventured far from CRT. So I just want to say in this, first of all, thank you all for coming on today. As much as I get amped up and fired up, I have respect for my scholars. I just like, I am, would you hear back from me is feedback on somebody who's in the proletariat, who gets sick of stuff coming out of the Ebony Towers telling us the moves that we're making as parents, the moves we're making as parents to go left and right and get out of the main system somehow makes us ignorant, somehow makes us like lesser knowing or or not knowing. And we are doing it for a reason. There's a reason why we go for alternatives when we go for them, even when the Ebony Tower don't think we should do so. Love y'all. But people are going to do what they need to do for their babies. Absolutely. And they should do that because that's what white people do. That's what white people do. No, they they should do that not because that's what white people do. They should do that because that's what we should do. We have the ability to do it. That's right. That's right. Just trying to sorry, Ray. Sorry, guys. Right, so, no, Ray, don't be sorry. <laughs> this is how we roll things. Y'all, y'all keep talking if you want to. Y'all keep talking. Say something. Here's the thing, right? Ray, uh, Doc wants I to talk. Initially Let Doc say his point. I initially, uh, I initially wanted to. Keep it my seems to me that you are. Dr. Lee, you just got to speak louder. Just go ahead, Doc. Just go ahead. Just go ahead. Yeah, interrupted. There, there's a critique of charters, but there's also an understanding that some charters are productive, good spaces for black children. I mean, so that's that was the point I was trying to make, that that the two shouldn't get confused. And so I would imagine that the charter that that Sharif, for example, is, is part of, that that's a healthy space for black children. And those are the kinds of learning environments we want to promote in advance. Um, 
But but what is happening in places like New Orleans is not positive. And yes, I understand the history prior to that was far worse. Right. And it wasn't based on a critical race uh, theoretical construction. But um, I, I, I think we need to just understand that there's always been an embrace of of folks like yourselves who are trying to construct positive black educational spaces where black children do well. I mean, there's always been an embrace of that among black scholars, whatever the context, you know, I've, I've done research in private schools that were good places for black kids. And I, 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 I told them as such. so it's not so much about, you know, public versus private uh, as much as it is about making sure that whatever we do is good for black kids. Mm. The 8 million. That's what we're here right. for. What does so, routine so, mean? So, what does that mean? Um, let me, let me, I'm going to try to come back and try to close this thing out. All right, so I talked to y'all earlier in the show and I said that I was giving my seat up at the table for one of my sorority sisters that was more expert than me in critical race theory. And so I'm going to yield my time for my final thought and go back to Dr. Waite so she could close the show out because that's how and I'm rolling tonight. That's the, and that's Dr. the Waite, energy I'm on. That's dope. As part of that, can y'all just quickly explain when you say sorority sister, like what does that mean? Like which one are you? What group are you in? I'm not, just curious. I want to like, satisfy my curiosity. No, I'm sorry. He's I'm Omega. Sorry. No, no, please. Purple. No, what no, color no. are you? Oh, I mean, you're, you're black. Do I mean, what color? Do All right. Okay. I'll, I'll go Google it. Never mind. I'll Google it. I'll Google it. So let me help you. I could only be. Uh, a uh-oh. part uh-oh. of the dynamic. Uh oh. I want to see some stepping while you say Sorority Incorporated. Uh oh. Okay. So no, there we go. Off. That's I, what I, I, I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> um, All right. So thank you, thank you, LB. I appreciate you. Um, I want I want to close out by saying that I think I appreciate the conversation. I appreciate the discussion, and I think it should not be lost. Um, that last point that Dr. Lynn made. Regardless of how people are choosing to educate their children, um, I just want black folks, black, brown and poor folks to know that you have the right to educate your children. And the reality of the situation is we're not going to be free till we're all free. And I am I am with liberation. I practice it daily. I train educators. I train um, my educate uh, my master's levels and doctoral level students that if you are not in the business of educating for liberation, you're not doing your job. And it is your responsibility to be a social justice equity oriented leader. Like this work that we do is very dangerous because it's serious. It's very serious. And I can say this. I appreciate one. I don't see you as being part of the proletariat. Right. I see. I see all of us being in this thing together because the reality of the situation is when I go into when I go into a school, I don't go in and say, hello, I'm panel member Dr. Shannon R. Wake. I go into the school in my jeans, T-shirt or wherever else I'm wearing that day. And I just say, hi, my name is Shannon. You know why? Because I'm going to need you to keep the same energy with me before you find out that I have an EDD or that I sit on the panel with the chancellor once a month. I need to see how you treat black parents. Mm-hmm. I want to see how you treat black students. Mm-hmm. And that would be whether it's a public, um, uh, well, if, whether it's a traditional public school or a charter public school. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think that 
if we are going to move this needle forward and if we are going to be effective in our use of CRT as a framework and as an analytical tool to um, eradicate racism, then we have to be willing to get on one accord. And at the end of the day, I know for a fact I wasn't around, but I'm speculating here. Hmm. I know that in Alabama, everybody didn't want to walk. I know for a fact there were some people like, oh, I live 30 miles away. I'm not walking. And I know some people were like, oh, well, you can ride with um, Otis. And there were people like, I can't stand Otis. I don't. But you know what? They argued inside that church and they got it together. And when they walked outside that church, Otis and the person Otis couldn't stand was riding in in, in that car to get dropped off. Because let me catch you on that bus. Mm. Let me catch you on that bus. And I think that if we in 2020 moving forward, regardless of who um, send their kid where, regardless of what book they wrote, regardless of whatever, if we can all get together and get on that same page. And if you can't stand me, but you get in my car because we all going to ride together Mm. until we dismantle the system. Yeah, we got to get our bougie black folks out of out of the, the white progressive circles, though. We we really do. We really do. We really do. We guys have been listening. We really do. You 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 want to say that? You want to you want to? You want to? No, I just want to say that we all do have to get in the car together. And I actually do. I actually do think that we're gonna have to face some class realities to make that happen. Like, cause so I'm there with the message. Like I, I'm I'm so buying it. Actually, it's it's, it's actually essential to our survival. It's actually essential to our survival, especially in an election like we have right now, especially like what comes after it or whatnot. But we also are going to have about that because we're going to boost the show. Yeah, we're not. You know, I'm just going to say if there was ever a time for us all to get in a car together at the same time, get on the bus was the movie. If there was ever a time for us all to get on the bus right now is that time. Um, We're going to have to face some class realities to make that happen. Right. We have some healing to do some healing to do between our classes to make that happen. Yeah. And Doc, I agree with everything that you that you said. And I think some of the folks, it wasn't because they're 30 miles away. It was just that they looked at shutting ish down was too radical. And that's why they they were right. They they live right at the bus stop. They're like, I ain't participating in that. That's too radical. Right. The black moderate. Right. Not the white moderate, but the black moderate. Right. But Doc, it, I'm looking forward like, to connecting like, with both of y'all. Ankrum wants to close us down. Ankrum always hold trying on. to shut us down. Yeah, I mean, let us live. Let us be yeah, great. Why are you no, being no, all no, TFA no, on no, us? No, man. <laughs> Yo, I'm, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. What I'm saying to you is there's still a lot of people that's here, still a lot of people that's in the comments talking about they want the conversation to go. So, Doc, I, I'm mindful of your time and you being the expert and all this. So, if you have to go, I understand. Doc, the wait, you. if you got to go, I understand. But if we yeah. want to keep it going, I got a couple more minutes. Actually, Let's I do go. gotta run, but you know, y'all carry on if you can. Ah. <laughs> they, they all like we out, we out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, so hey, so hey, so Miss Toya, Philly ended this. <laughs> you know, Mama Toya is not gonna let you right, come so you, from my neck. You, you guys have been listening to another episode of the Eight Black Hands. Thank you to our guests for coming to bless the stage with us. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to Dr. Bro. Cole on vacation. And, uh, and you guys, we'll see you next week. Peace. Peace. You have been listening to the Eight Black Hands podcast with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky, and Stuart. If you like what you heard, follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at 8BlackHands1. Thank you for listening. <laughs>